Uh, we're about to do the most important thing we do at Soul Revival Church, which is read the Bible. Um, if you did want a paper Bible, Ethan could probably get you one if you put your hand up. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'd like to add my welcome to everyone here tonight. My name's Stu, I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival. And it's a very encouraging time to be able to sit and listen to the Word of God. And it's really encouraging that the particular passage that we have in front of us tonight is so timely and encouraging for us. So just as we start tonight, I think we might uh, again pray and ask God to give us confidence and peace. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son to give us so much hope. Thank you that you guard and protect us and you keep us in your care. We pray that you'll give us great wisdom tonight and give us great encouragement. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question tonight. Where did you grow up? Some of us grew up in Sutherland Shire. Probably many of us didn't grow up in Sutherland Shire. Some of us grew up in suburbs like me. I grew up in Guymere Bay, which is about a stone's throw away from this place that we're meeting in tonight. Some of us grew up in cities. Some people grew up in Australia. Some people grew up overseas. Well, I want you to think about your growing up for a moment. If you're around my vintage, you might actually remember that growing up in um, Australia, if you happen to grow up in Australia, was actually a little bit boring. I remember growing up in the 1970s and the 1980s, and I remember thinking not much happens. It's a pretty safe and stable place to grow up. Yet at the end of the 1970s, my uh, mum and dad invited my grandparents to come and stay with us, and they uh, moved into our house, and we actually added on to our house so our grandparents could come and live with us. And my grandparents lived on the top floor, and I, I was very close to my grandparents, but I actually got to get even closer with them when they moved in. And one of the things that was great about having my grandparents live with us was that we got to actually talk a lot and they got to tell me a lot more about what life was like for them when they were growing up. And the thing that struck me was that the stories they told were so different to my experience. As I said, Greg and I grew up in our family and it was very peaceful and calm and so calm and peaceful that it was actually kind of boring growing up in the 70s and 80s. But listening to my grandmother tell me about when she was a young woman growing up in England through the Depression. Uh, she had a lot of challenges through the Depression, but things got even worse when the Second World War broke out because my grandparents lived in a city that was an industrial city in Europe. That city was the city of Sheffield. And the problem with being in an industrial city during the Second World War was that um, the, the industrial cities themselves were actually targets. For the first time in human history, uh, the, the battlefield extended in a significant way across from the actual battlefront where soldiers were fighting each other to actually the civilian populations who themselves became targets. And my grandparents uh, worked in uh, various factories in Sheffield in England and they actually had to go to work each day and go about their daily jobs and also their daily lives with this constant threat of bombing. Now, 
that, the, sitting there listening to his stories that my grandparents told me about living through the Blitz was just such a sharp contrast to how I was living. Like, my biggest problem was whether my bike tyre was flat or not, whether I had enough money to buy a paddle pop from the shop. That were the biggest things I had on my mind. But my grandparents told me that they actually had to dig holes in their backyards and put a, an Anderson shelter in their backyard. They actually had to, to, uh, to every night go into that shelter because the bombers would come over every night and drop bombs on them. And I used to really be interested in that. I've got a few photos, actually, that um, actually show you some, unfortunately those of you who are at home who are watching the sermon at home might not be able to see the screens, but basically you could Google some of these images and see something similar from where you are. But basically these photos show, and, and Jai, I might get you just to, to flick through them slowly while I talk about this. These photos are from different cities uh, that are actually experiencing bombing. You can see there's a great deal of carnage. This little boy here is there with his uh, little soft toy looking a little bit shocked a little bit stunned about what's happening. Here's some children playing in the rubble of their house that's now gone, probably looking for things that are left. This is actually an example of some children getting into an Anderson shelter, and that's a shelter in their backyard that they probably spent the night in each night. As you can see, people had to go about their daily lives. And the thing that used to fascinate me about my grandparents' stories was life did not come to a complete stop because people were dropping bombs on their heads. The thing that amazed me about their stories was that they continue to live their lives. And as Jai continues to slide through the pictures, you can see that people are even sleeping in the tube at night so they could get up refreshed, having a good night's sleep that's fairly safe and get up the next day. This is a shot of people going to a library and getting books, borrowing actually, according to the, the page I read, borrowing books from a library that's still open, even though the library has scored a direct hit. And there they are in quite English fashion getting books. If there's something that's even more English than getting a book during the Blitz, it's having a cup of tea. And as you keep going through the slides, you'll see that there's more examples of this kind of stuff. That is a bus that has been bombed. One of the things that was fascinating about my grandmother's stories was apparently that people used to keep waiting at bus stops on their way to work, even though all the buses were gone. The bus depots were smashed and there were no buses working anymore, but people would still stand and wait at bus stops because what would happen is if someone still had a car, they'd drive past the bus stop, seeing a few people waiting at the bus stop, they'd get them in their car and they'd drive them to work. People worked together. People got on with life. Here's a picture of a milkman carrying milk. His milk delivery through a shattered street, despite the fact that the night before it has pulverised the neighbourhood, he's got a job to do. He's got to give people milk. Babies need to drink. Here's Winston Churchill walking through the rubble of a church. The leadership of the time was quite important. And as that slides up there, I want to tell you a brief story about something my nan and pop told me one day. They were living in those kind of circumstances, but before all of that broke out, they didn't know what to expect. That was a nightmare to live through, but what had happened just before this um, outbreak happened was that they knew their country had declared war on, on the Nazis, but then there was this period of peace where nothing happened for quite a while. It was like they call it the phony war. There was about four or six months where where the Nazis had rolled all the way up to um, France and then stopped and nothing happened. So there was this tension and anxiety. There's this threat that's coming, but we don't know what it's going to look like. And so on the radio came Winston Churchill. Now, those of you who know me will know that I'm a bit of a fan of Winston Churchill. I think the guy's pretty terrific. He wasn't perfect, but I particularly love his speeches. Nan and Pop told me that one day they were sitting in their lounge room listening to Winston Churchill's famous speech about we will fight them on the beaches. Have you heard of that? Go something like this. <laughs> we will fight them. 
on the beaches. We will fight them <laughs> on the landing fields. We will never surrender. Never surrender. <laughs> when my grandparents heard that speech, my nan and pop looked at each other and, and my nan was looking out the window across to the neighbour's yard and she noticed that when the speech was over, the 80-year-old neighbour had left her house and walked out to a back shed. And as Nan watched, the lady came out clumsily with a pitchfork and some bottles, empty bottles, and walked back into her house. And my Nan apparently turned to my grandfather and said, Jack, you'd better go over there and see if she's OK. I don't know what she's up to. And so Pop went round, knocked on the door, and he went in and he said, you right, love? And she said, yeah. And he said, what have you got the pitchfork and the bottles for? She said, well, I'm going to take some of the boogers with me. <laughs> Didn't you hear the Prime Minister? I'm going to fight him from here, right now. This is where it starts, something like that. And Pop's like, what's with the pitchfork? And she goes, well, when the paratroopers come from the sky, I'm going to stick them buggers right up the bottom with the pitchfork. <laughs> and he goes, what's with the bottles? I'm going to fill them with petrol and I'm going to throw them as Molotov cocktails. Pop says, but you don't have any petrol, love. She goes, no, I don't, do I? <laughs> Why am I telling you this story today? Well, they didn't know what the destruction would look like, but they had been prepared. They'd been prepared for the worst because they knew that their leadership were going to fight and that they believed that they could prevail. In the darkest hour when the Blitz did start, apparently even Winston Churchill said to the king, actually, this is so dark, Your Majesty, I think you should get on a boat and go to Canada. Well, apparently the king said, while there's one British person who's willing to stand and fight, I'm going to stay right here, thank you very much. Imagine the morale boost for the people of the East End who were suffering in that blitz to see the king walk down the street knowing that he too had been hit by bombs as well. Now that's just an example from history of a particularly difficult time. But what we have tonight is we have a really beautiful example of a leadership that is abiding and strengthening and strong that can actually help us to go through unknown challenges that we face into the future. We are in the phony war in a similar way with this COVID-19 crisis. We look on and we don't exactly know what's going to happen, but tonight Paul is going to say to us from Colossians chapter 4 that we are safe and that he is still going to look after us and that we will prevail. You know, I used to listen to my nan in the kitchen while she was peeing, uh, getting the peas out of the shells. <laughs> yeah, I know, it sounded bad to start off with, but I think I saved it. She was, was called, she called it peeing. Okay, okay, it's really funny. She's getting, you can imagine this, right? Getting peas in their pods. Got that? Yeah. And getting the peas out into a colander. That's what she used to do. But while she used to stand there with her apron on, <laughs> I'm going to be super careful. I'm actually live on the internet right now. While she was peeing in the kitchen, she used to sing. And she used to sing an old Vera Lynn, a Vera Lynn song. And the song went something like this. There'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover tomorrow, just you wait and see. And there'll be love and laughter and peace ever after. And I used to love to listen to her sing that because... That song came true. 
And she told me that she used to sing that song in the middle of the Blitz in the Anderson shelter because this Vera Ling lady was apparently a popular singer at the time and she used to try and encourage the British population by saying, you know, it's going to be over one day. And I used to love listening to her sing that song because I was living in the peace and the tranquility of Guymere Bay in the 1970s and 80s, living with my grandmother in peace. And I think tonight, Colossians chapter 4 is a very beautiful song that is being sung by Paul and it has the same message. One day there'll be bluebirds over, the white cliffs of Dover, just you wait and see. So no matter what travails we're about to go through, whether they're light or they might be hard, we know that Christ is king and he's on his throne. And the great news is that the Christian life is something we can live through times of peace and times through hardship. And just like the people of the Blitz gathered together, and indeed people in Germany gathered together as the British in their time began bombing them as well, the people of Dresden and people of uh, Cologne and the other cities that were completely smashed by the terrible outcomes of war, people in those communities in Germany and in England would get together to support each other. And the Bible has the same vision for us right now too. Because the Christian life is not something that you live individually. The Christian life is something that we do together. In our journey so far through Colossians, we've seen that, haven't we? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open them up to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, as I read to us tonight. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, this has been the last section that we've just looked at at Soul Revival over the last couple of weeks. And verse 12 is actually what all of the rest of the passage flows from, including the section that we have in front of us tonight. All the way up to chapter 4, verse 6, Paul is expanding this vision of the Christian life. And the idea comes to us that our Christian life comes from our Christian character. Our Christian character is what shines through in times of peace and times of difficulty. And what we can be encouraged is that Jesus makes a difference in the life of a Christian. If you're a Christian, Jesus makes a tangible difference to your character because you've been given a spiritual nature. Jesus refers to this idea of Christian character and the difference that he is, he's going to make to us in Matthew 11, verse 29. He says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying here that he continues to directly lead all of us, individually and collectively. And just like a yoke is lovingly put on a bullock by a loving farmer to guide that great animal for the work it has to do, so Jesus' yoke on our shoulders guides us. But Jesus' promise to us is that his yoke is actually something that we are able to bear. Jesus is not going to put a burden on us harshly or aggressively or even out of some discomfort or uncaringness. Jesus is going to guide us and teach us a better way to live and he guides us, he says, gently and humbly. The result is that if we take his leadership and let him guide us through good times and hard times, the result will be rest for our souls. Isn't that a wonderful outcome, to think that no matter what our external circumstances, we can have rest for our souls if we trust in Jesus to guide us through every day? 
This is encouraging in times of difficulty like today with this COVID-19. It's really important that we look after each other and we take measures to try and keep ourselves, our families and our communities safe. But isn't it awesome in these times of anxiety that we can enjoy the peace of Christ which passes all understanding? You know, when Paul talks in Colossians about these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us to help us to endure through all sorts of times, Paul's also got that theme in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Let me read to you Galatians 5, 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Benefit the individual. If you notice, these fruits are actually all other person-centred. The wonderful difference that Jesus makes in the life of a Christian is that we actually start to develop character traits that are actually a blessing to those we love and even those that don't love us back. We can actually have the fruit of this good Christian character that Paul talks about in Galatians and Colossians right now tonight. It can give us courage and it can have a practical outcome. And what Paul turns to in chapter 4, verse 2, is he says what we can do in times of danger is that we can turn our panic into prayer. Turn our panic into prayer. Let's have a look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Here Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. What is the outcome of devoting myself to prayer? What am I practically doing? Well, what I'm doing when I exercise prayer is I'm practicing faith I'm putting it into practice I'm talking to a God that I cannot see with my own eyes and I'm trusting him with my deepest thoughts in fact when I pray as a Christian I sometimes share with the Lord things that no other human beings know about myself sometimes I talk to the Lord about my deepest secrets my deepest desires my deepest fears and also my deepest joys. And I'm encouraged to know that when I close my eyes and I utter those beautiful words, Dear Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He inclines his ear to listen to his servant. When I pray and ask him for my daily bread, I know that he is listening and attentive and he knows what I need more than I know what I need. So even as I list the things that I'm worried about and ask him to reassure me and strengthen me in the areas of doubt and fear that I might have or the weaknesses that I might have or the worries I have for other people, I'm constantly knowing that he is actually unlike any other person I can speak to because he is the king of the universe with all power and all authority to actually make a change. And so when I pray, I am safe. But also here Paul says that when we pray and we devote ourselves to prayer, that we're being watchful and we're being thankful. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, to be watchful and to be thankful? Isn't that timely as we are looking at this crisis develop around us in our country and around the world? We are watching, aren't we? We're turning on the TV, we're opening the newspaper, we're flicking through social media, we're talking to other people, listening to their experiences and their ideas. And we're looking out for those people in our lives that we are worried about. We care about our community. At this time where there's panic buying, we're worried about those people that might not have enough resources to panic buy and to spend thousands of dollars making sure they have enough toilet paper. The other thing we worry about as we're watchful is that we're watchful knowing that God is watching too. Have you ever thought of that? 
Have you ever thought that God sees the same things that you see? Because sometimes the things we see give us cause for anxiety and fear. But to know that God is watching that situation develop too and is actually over and above that situation and completely in control gives me thankfulness, doesn't it? So as I pray, I think what's happening is not only am I sharing with God the things that are my needs, but I think I'm being swept up into his way of thinking and seeing the world as he sees the world. And it's a calming influence on my life. In Colossians 4 verse 3, Paul unpacks the state of watchfulness and thankfulness a little bit further for us. He goes on to say, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. See, sometimes as you read the Bible, you forget about how difficult it must have been for the guy who was writing the particular letter you're reading. This isn't someone who's blogging from a safe desk in New York City. This isn't someone writing who's being paid by the Sydney Morning Herald to create a commentary uh, on particular issues that are taking place in society. This isn't someone who's watching pain and suffering from the outside and giving us a view on that. This letter is written by a suffering servant of Jesus. This letter is written by Paul, who, who himself is actually in chains because of the gospel that he is proclaiming in this letter. He's done nothing else wrong other than to tell people about Jesus. And as a result, he's arrested and he's in chains. And yet this beautiful, positive, simple message is coming clearly across the centuries to us tonight because of his prayer, watchfulness and thankfulness. He is able to be other person-centred. He's asking the Colossians to be other person-centred. He's asking the Colossians to help him to be continuing to be other person-centred. Look what he's praying for them to pray for him for. Is he praying for enough clothes? Is he praying for enough food? Is he praying for enough water or the rats to stay away from him or the guards to be kinder to him? Or is he praying that he might get out of prison soon? No, he just prays for the message. He prays that the gospel would still ring out clearly despite whatever is happening in his life. That he may speak clearly, he goes on to talk about in Colossians 4.4, pray that I may proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. He wants to share the truth and love of Jesus to the people who have incarcerated him. He also wants to make sure that that message is so clear that they can share it with other people too. See, the beautiful reality here is that God continues to save sinners throughout good times and hard times. And in fact, he uses these difficulties of chains of Paul for the good of us and for many other people. If Paul hadn't have been in chains, would we have had all the letters? We don't need to speculate on that because we do have these letters. Because in God's wisdom and mercy, his sovereignty, he has ordained that these letters should be not only written but continued to be retained so that we might have them today so we can read them for ourselves but what's beautiful is that we can share the truth and love of Jesus in good times and in troubled times person to person generation to generation culture to culture and place to place so my encouragement to us tonight is no matter what we go through pray for each other that we would be clear that we would help each other practically through these times and also be ready to tell people why we are helping each other to help each other clearly during these times. Louise, um, my wife Lou, she's on the ENC board 
and she said that when the coronavirus first started to become something we'd heard about, um, obviously in China it was um, quite devastating and people who were coming over from China were still uh, in quarantine and um, while Lou was at uh, the, the meeting that she had for ENC, the Evangelism in New Churches meeting, there was a pastor, a Chinese pastor, who had actually come to the meeting to talk to them about what he was doing to help people in this uh, changing environment with COVID-19. And this pastor said, can you pray for me because my community and I are making food hampers to take around to people who are in isolation so that they'll have enough to eat. And so he would go up to someone's house, a complete stranger, someone he'd never met before, with a box of food and knock on their door and yell through the door, there's some food for you here. And when they said, why are you giving us the food? He not only was giving the food, but he was saying, I'm just a pastor and I'm coming to tell you that we were thinking of you and we love you. See, he was clear about his love because he was acting in a loving way doing something that could practically help people. And when Lou came home and told me about that, I was also really struck at how seamlessly and easily he was also able to attest to the fact that his love had a source. And the source of his love, I think, is this from this passage. He has been devoted himself to prayer and being watchful and thankful for what he has, he's observed that he has uh, neighbours that are in need. And out of the strength that he's receiving from his relationship with Jesus and the comfort from the love of God, he's able to actually practically give of himself to others instead of acting fearfully and just staying away. In Colossians 4.6, we're told to be like Paul. Paul is similar to the pastor that was at the ENC meeting. See, Paul is actually acting out of interest for the Colossians and continuing to do what has got him into trouble. He's in prison because he's telling the gospel, yet he's writing down the gospel in these messages so the Colossians will understand it. He's just going to get himself into more trouble because his captors are going to say, will you stop doing this? We've put you in jail so you'll stop telling people about Jesus and when you can't go round to their house with a hamper and put a box on their door and say, hey, I'm here to, to love you in the name of Jesus, you write them a letter. They can't stop Paul. He's just hilarious. He just keeps going. And Paul here in verse 6 gives us a really exciting vision for our lives. The vision for our lives is we can be like Paul. He's not like some super Christian that's different to all of us, that's able to act in such a self-giving way in a crisis because he's somehow a better Christian. He thinks we can all be like that in our way, in our time, when we have the availability to do it. In verse 6, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Your character in your Christian life will shine through in your actions and in your words. Isn't it a calming thing in a crisis to have a funny old man with a funny old accent speak gracious, careful, considered words that give strength to his country? Isn't it even more beautiful when our Lord Jesus speaks with the same grace and strength to us as his followers, promising us that he will guide us in every situation. To give us permission to pray and ask him for help when we get lost. With the gentle, beautiful yoke, the light yoke of Jesus on our shoulders, waiting to be guided. Sometimes we walk down the path and we're actually not sure if we should turn left or right. 
Should I make this decision or that decision? It's not often the big decisions that are hard to make, it's often the little decisions every day that are hard to make. Should I take just one more roll of toilet paper, just to be sure? Or maybe that person who's looking a bit panicked, who's outside the store and just missed out on the toilet paper, maybe I could toss one of my four or five toilet rolls towards them and share a square, so to speak. <laughs> See, it's those little considerations and difficulties that sometimes I get stuck on. Sometimes I'm frozen in self-interest and I find it difficult to actually act out of love and compassion and care for other people. And what we're encouraged to do is remember Jesus at this moment. To always have your conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt, meaning that you're telling people why you are acting richly towards them when you have the courage to do that. And don't get me wrong, we're none of us are perfect. It's not like we're all going to be like Captain America and run around in our, with our shield on, you know, defending the whole world. We don't have to save the whole world. We're not Jesus. We just need to do our little bit. We just need to be full of grace and seasoned with salt and be available so that anyone who may ask you for help, you might be able to answer them. That would be a beautiful prayer at this time for us, wouldn't it? That we can help a little bit. And if we all do a little bit to help, maybe that will help a lot. And as people ask us, why are you helping? It might be fairly easy to us to explain where this supernatural courage that we don't know where it's coming from, from within ourselves actually doesn't come from ourselves. It actually comes from the Lord. That we might be able to give an answer to someone that we know that one day the bluebirds are going to sing over the white cliffs of Dover again one day. And that the planes that are going to fly over those cliffs are only ferrying people between the continent and England for holidays and for business and for family trips when the planes start flying again. When the planes fly over and the bellbirds are singing, we know that there is peace in the future. So my last encouragement to us this evening is trust Jesus. He's guiding you. He's going to show you the direction that we are and you are to go. And trust him when he promises that talking to him can make a difference. That if you can actually pause and think that I need to turn my panic into prayer in each of the little anxieties of the day, slowly over time, all of those little prayers start help building up into one great big prayer that emerges into a great big life that is seasoned and is calm amongst the storm so that we might be able to get on with our daily lives together despite the challenges that we face at the moment. I'm not saying at all that we're not going to be anxious. We will be. I'm not going to say at all that we won't feel hardship. We probably will feel hardship. We're not sure how much just yet, but there will be. But the one thing that we have for sure is that we have an even greater leader than any ever asked for or imagined. A leader who is completely in control of the greater situation and our situation. So as I finish tonight, let's pray to him and thank him for his care for us and ask him to give us the courage that we need to face the day. Heavenly Father, tonight we ask that you'd help us to turn panic into prayer and that that would make all the difference so that we might actually grow in our Christian character during this time. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we may have kindness and gentleness and patience and hope that we can share with our neighbours. Give us that strength, we pray today, in Jesus' name. Amen.